0: I wonder how many of us feel wealthy this morning. Do you feel financially secure? Does your financial position give you a sense of comfort? And what about the connection between your wealth and your spiritual condition? What effect does your wealth have on your heart, for example? This morning we're dealing with what scholars call one of the hard sayings of Jesus. Bishop Peter suggested during the week that our gospel reading for today may be the most difficult in scripture. So there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a great question. We should just dwell on that for a moment ourselves before going any further. It's the question of the ages, is it not? It's the question that the Bible is principally about. Um, Paradise has been lost. How then can it be regained? What must I do to inherit eternal life? You'd think that because the question is so obviously important that people in our community would be discussing it and trying to find the answer. But the truth is that we live in a very strange society indeed where that question simply doesn't come up. I found that astounding. And the reason is that people, of course, are distracted with many cares and concerns. Uh, They're taken up with living the good life in many cases, or they've come to embrace a purely materialistic view of the world. And they've never taken the time to really engage with that most fundamental of all questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, imagine what the disciples were thinking. As this rich young prince came up to Jesus, he's a most suitable recruit for Jesus' kingdom movement. He's young, he's influential, he's religious, he's had a wonderful upbringing. He was taught to follow the commandments from his youth. And look, he's doing everything right. He comes to the right person. Jesus was an expert on eternal life, he's got the right attitude. He kneels before Jesus and addresses him as good teacher. No one else in the Gospels addresses Jesus in that way. And he's got the right attitude. He kneels before Jesus and addresses him. Um, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Never was there a more suitable person to become a follower of Jesus. You can imagine the disciples saying to each other, wow, we've got to get this guy. What's so important about having 12 disciples? Let's make it 13. This chap would add so much value. And his suitability is reinforced when Jesus told him to follow the commandments in verse 18. And the young man was able to reply that he'd lived an exemplary life since his youth, followed every one of them. But then in verse 21, we're told that Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said wait for it you lack one thing sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me now no one would argue that being wealthy has many advantages in life money opens doors doesn't it we all know this we can use money to secure a good education help our children gain access to health care to travel to live comfortably Even give some of it away. Money equals opportunity and the enjoyment of life. But in spite of the many opportunities that were open to this rich young man, there was one door that was closed to him, and that was the door to eternal life. In fact, where money had been an advantage to him, in the case of eternal life, it was now a disadvantage. Wealth proved not to be a benefit, but a barrier. And in the words of verse 22, it says, when he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. He went away grieving. Other translations simply say that he was downcast and sad. Jesus had put his finger on the one thing that was most important to this young man. And there was naturally a reaction in his heart that expressed itself in his face. He went away dejected, and grieving, for he had, as we would say today, a lot of stuff. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God for the rich. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? So let's get this straight. The rich young ruler went away shocked and grieving. And now the disciples were perplexed and greatly astounded. Why all these negative feelings? Only one reason. Jesus, Jesus is responsible for the most eligible recruit to turn away. And now he's causing the disciples to be all upset. Isn't religion supposed to make you feel glad and happy? Isn't religion supposed to make you feel good about yourself? Isn't religion supposed to add value to our lives? Why then did Jesus upset all these people? Because God's ways, God's priorities, the kingdom of God, if you will, is opposed to the values of the world. And if we don't feel the indignation and astonishment that the disciples felt, that clash of values, then you're probably not thinking deeply enough. Because it's strange. It's strange to us. Let me explain the clash in the following way. In the ancient cultures, it was taken as read that there was an indissoluble link between your standing before God and your wealth. In other words, people generally thought that God blessed the righteous. Or to put it another way, your wealth was proof that God had blessed you. But here, Jesus is not only disagreeing with this assumption, he's actually saying that our wealth can be a hindrance to finding eternal life. And that uh, assumption, uh, that link between wealth and God's blessing, of course, emerges in many places around the world today, even in the 21st century, perhaps especially in the 20th century among certain groups of Western churches. But throughout Mark's gospel and indeed the other gospels, we're told that Jesus went about calling people to follow him Right at the beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news. To repent essentially means to turn around. You've been going in a certain direction. You must now listen to Jesus, do an about turn and follow a new way of life based on his teaching. You must repent of building your life on the world's priorities and build your life instead on the values of the kingdom of God. In the case of the rich young ruler, Jesus is saying, you've been building your life on wealth. Now you've got to renounce your wealth and follow me. It's a bit like saying you've got to dethrone wealth from the driving seat of your heart. You've got to take the idol of wealth and smash it so that God can take priority in our lives. Because our hearts readily form attachments, don't they? We attach ourselves to our husbands and wives and children and friends. And that is natural and right. But we also form other attachments. We form attachments to our houses and our cars and our boats and all kinds of possessions. And instead of loving God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength, we can end up loving other things and God can be displaced from that central position within our hearts. So we all need to turn to God in repentance. We need to repent of placing too much importance on our wealth or our houses or our boats and jobs and status and all kinds of other things. We need to turn back to God and place God at this central place. Now, as we've seen, all this is deeply countercultural. It's not natural to the human heart at all. In the same way that the disciples are deeply shocked and dismayed by what Jesus said, so we also react strongly to this teaching. Who can can possibly live up to this way of life? A hard saying indeed. Well, Jesus has an answer to that as well. Because for every hard saying of Jesus, there is grace just around the corner. What do I mean? Well, Jesus replied to the disciples' question by saying, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, as strange as this saying is, it's actually quite straightforward. This was a common rabbinic saying at the time of Jesus, which compared the largest animal endemic to Palestine, that is the camel, with one of the smallest holes that people commonly knew about, the eye of of a needle, and even a small child would realize that it's simply not possible under any circumstances for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It was ludicrous. It was humorous. It was meant to be. In spite of certain interpretations that involve unloading a camel to get through a little door, that is not The point of this at all rich people in their own power could not inherit eternal life end of story but said jesus in verse 27 for mortals it is impossible but not for god for god all things are possible so the puzzle is solved left to our own devices we will stay attached to our wealth and any number of other things our hearts will be like Smog, the dragon, in the hobbit. Remember that image of the dragon sitting on top of his gold and jewels, <clears throat> complete with thick impervious scales. Or we can follow Jesus' call to repent, turn to God, and allow God to do a deep spiritual work in our hearts, whereby we smash the idols and allow God to take up full residence. So it's about a deep spiritual transaction that we sometimes call conversion. Not a one-off, but an ongoing turning back to God at every stage of our spiritual journey. And this story about the young man, the rich young man, wanting to inherit eternal life turns out to be yet another example of the gospel within the gospel. A kind of paradigm story of the whole Christian worldview. The whole thing is kept encapsulated in this little transaction between the rich young ruler and Jesus. Left to ourselves, we will follow after other gods who over time will take possession of our hearts. And like dragon scales, our hearts become hard and impenetrable and we gradually lose our true humanity. But if we turn to Christ in faith, God does the impossible, a miracle. God frees us from the bondage of our idols and enables us to discover our true humanity to be truly free. You see, Christianity is never superficial. It always addresses the deepest issues. Yes, Christianity will make you feel glad and happy It will add value to your lives, but never in a superficial way. It goes to the wound that needs to be healed. It goes to the foundation that needs to be strengthened. It goes to the scales that need to be removed. I myself have felt the indignation of the disciples that Jesus asks too much of us. It's not reasonable. It's not possible but I have also experienced the complete freedom and joy of smashing the idols and living with God at the centre. Amen.